Okay, 1 Peter chapter 5. Our text this morning begins in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord Jesus, thank you for exerting your power in us and through us, the very power that raised you from the dead. Even in the midst of hardship and heartache today, we hear you say to us that your grace is sufficient for us. And we declare back to you as a word of praise, your grace is sufficient for us. And now help us, Holy Spirit, to understand your words through the Apostle Peter to heed them as the word of the living God to his people. Amen. Well, Peter is drawing his letter to a close, and he actually calls on three groups of people here. You can see in verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders. That's a group within the Christian communities that he is writing to. He then, in chapter 5, says... Likewise, you who are younger. And then in, later in verse 5, he says, and to all of you. So first he says to the elders, then to the younger, and then he says to all of you. But the elders get most of Peter's attention here. And it might seem strange that he would aim some instructions at elders as he starts to close his letter, but they really continue Peter's concern that we as God's people remain faithful when we face rejection from an unbelieving world. Remember that Peter is writing to us as God's people who are in exile. We are exiles dispersed among the world, not sent into exile as a judgment or a punishment for rebellion against God, but in exile like the people of Israel in Egypt. That by God's sovereign will, he put his people into exile under a foreign ruler, Pharaoh, so that he could display his glory in delivering his people up and out of bondage, out of exile, to show himself to be the one true God. That is the kind of exile we as God's people are in. And so as exiles, we face rejection, we face unbelief, we at times face hostility, And as we suffer hostility according to God's will, we must entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is 1 Peter 4, verse 19. We're to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Neither compromising nor withdrawing. In chapter 5, verse 1, 
Peter is continuing, so, or therefore, connects these exhortations to the entire situation. And the reason that he does this, I would understand, is to be because one of the primary ways that the Lord leads and guards his people while in exile is through leaders that the Bible calls elders. And so elders need to know how to lead well, and the people of God need to know how to respond to them, and all of us need to understand the key to that relationship, which is in verse 5, humility. So let's begin then with Jesus' word to the elders, because even though Peter is writing, he is writing on behalf of the Lord Jesus himself. He is an apostle. He is revealing Jesus' will. So this is Jesus' word to elders, and those who are elders need to hear it as such. I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you. And the value of these exhortations to the elders is obvious, I think, to those who are elders, but they're also obvious or valuable, I should say, to the people of God. And Peter grounds then his appeal to the elders as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and secondly, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter is appealing based on the fact that he too is an elder. Now, Peter is an apostle, But he is also an elder. And if you think back to John chapter 21, the gospel of John, the very end of the gospel, Peter has denied the Lord three times, but Jesus went to the cross, he was crucified, he rose again, and several times Jesus appears to his disciples in different places at different times and gives different instructions. John 21, we have a very personal encounter between Jesus and the apostle Peter. And three times Jesus challenges Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know, you know I love you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. Second time, do you love me? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. And last time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Provide for my people. Provide for the flock. So it's important to reinstate, reinstall Peter as a leader, even among the apostles, which we see then played out in the book of Acts. That Peter would be the point man in this. He would preach the sermon on on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus is restoring him. But these instructions about the flock and being a shepherd, Peter repeats to elders. And you can see how Peter, in receiving these instructions from Jesus back in John 21, is now passing those on. He is a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he, by fellow witness, he doesn't, he doesn't mean just he's an eyewitness. Now, Peter was an eyewitness of Jesus' sufferings, but here Peter is talking about his bearing witness. And he's saying that, I, like you as a fellow elder, I am a fellow witness bearer 
of Jesus' sufferings. I testify to them. I preach them. Because he bears witness of all that Jesus did. And then there is this shared future. I am a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Even as an apostle, even as a fellow elder, Peter is saying, I'm just going to be part of receiving the glory that we all receive when Jesus reveals himself. So Peter is grounding his exhortation in this partnership that they share, fellow elders, fellow witnesses, fellow partakers of glory. So then we see first that there is an elder's charge, there's an elder's task, and there's also the elder's confidence. And like I said, the value for crossways elders is obvious, I think. It's a challenge to us. In some ways, I could just I could get the elders together out of crossway and we could go sit in a room and we could pour over this passage. But it's also valuable for the church body. Because you as the church need to know what to expect from elders. You need to know how to evaluate elders. Because in verse 5, the flock is called to respond, right? And a letter like this, as all New Testament letters, would have been read publicly to the church. So these aren't private instructions for elders. These are public instructions for elders before the churches so that they know and understand. All right, so first we see the elders' charge. See the elders' charge. This is found in verse 2. I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The word elder can refer to an older person, but in the New Testament, it is an office. It's a role. It's a, po a position of leadership in the church. And it's used interchangeably with two other words in the New Testament. One is the word overseer, which we also get our word uh, episkopos from, or episcopalian, if you've heard of the Episcopalian church, is built on this word, an overseer. The other word that's used interchangeably is the word shepherd or pastor. Pastor is just the Latin word for shepherd. So shepherd and pastor is really the same word. So these terms are all talking about the same office. They're all talking about the same role of leadership. These happen to be the same two words Peter uses here to describe what elders are to do. Elders are to shepherd the flock. That is to exercise oversight. It's these two words. But what does it mean to shepherd the flock? When Peter says, shepherd the flock that is among you. We very often use the word shepherd to mean something like pastoral care, counseling, praying for those who are ill or struggling spiritually, um, offering comfort and suffering, coming alongside of. And those all are shepherding actions. That is part of shepherding. But the word shepherd or the title shepherd is really a far more comprehensive term. It really, it really takes in all that elders do. This image of shepherd and flock, of course, comes from the Old Testament in which the people of God, the nation of Israel, were called the flock. God called them his flock. And God, in the Old Testament, was the owner. And the shepherds were 
the priests. And so we see this same relationship in the Old Testament applied to the nation of Israel that Peter now is applying to the people of God, the church. We say God is the owner, and then there are shepherds. We're not priests. And the reason we are not priests, the reason elders are not priests and not called priests, is the issue of mediation. A priest in the Old Testament mediated a person's ability to come into the presence of God and uh, deal with sin and guilt before God and know God's blessing and forgiveness for that sin. That ended when Jesus died on the cross. So we don't mediate you as the people of God now in the New Testament have direct access to God because you are in Christ. That is one of the glorious truths of the New Testament. That is one of those deep uh, mysteries that is revealed through the apostles that was not true before Jesus came. You have direct access. So we aren't priests. Elders are not priests. But they mirror the role of priests. If you look at the role of priests in the Old Testament, it was very similar. Teaching and instructing in the law. Giving spiritual guidance. Caring for people. This image of shepherd and flock emphasizes the need for soul care. That people as living souls made in God's image need care. They need caring for, provision, protection, guidance. Because we are, watch, because we are of great worth to Jesus. You are of great worth to him. He bought you with his own blood. And we're going to look at a passage that says that in a few minutes. The comparison between people and sheep is not, I hear this every once in a while. You know, sheep are the dumbest animals and they'll all go diving over a cliff. One goes over a cliff, they'll all go over the cliff. And people need shepherds. I don't preach to dumb, mindless, unthinking people. You are people made in God's image. The point of analogy is the need for soul care and worth. Sheep were valuable. That's why owners had shepherds look after them. That's why shepherds would lay their lives on the line to protect sheep from predators. It's that you are worth so much to Jesus. He loves his church. He loves his churches. In fact, Peter has already said back in chapter 2, verse 25, you were straying like sheep. Maybe that's another analogy. We, like sheep, are hard-headed and stray. We go off on our own way. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, capital S, and overseer, capital O, Same two words that Peter uses here in chapter 5, verse 1. You have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So that's this image of shepherd and flock then. Now, Peter doesn't expand on what shepherding and oversight entails, so let me just give you an elder's priorities in shepherding. This is what it means to shepherd, and I'm giving you three very broad categories, but I think that everything that elders do, that shepherds do, when when Peter says shepherd the flock, they are caught up in these three things. First of all, elders are to teach. 
Elders are to teach. And frankly, this is the highest priority of shepherding. Now, this teaching may happen at different venues and different levels. It may be teaching instruction in scriptures one-on-one, something we would think of as counsel or mentoring, discipleship, something like that. It may take place in smaller groups like a community group or a Bible study. It may take place from up front to the gathered church as a whole. But the highest priority of shepherding is teaching. And we see this started in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. And the first thing, the first mark of the church, the first descriptor of the gathered church, this new people, is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The elders today are not apostles and do not claim apostolic authority. But whatever we teach ought to better be what the apostles were teaching. When elders teach, they should be teaching the deposit of truth that the apostles left by the divine authority of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. And that's why they devoted themselves to their teaching. It was the priority, what they needed to understand truth. We see this carried on then in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. You remember this situation where there's some conflict in this new church between two groups of Jewish people. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The reason they're saying this is because there are two groups of widows within the church. Some were Hellenistic Jews, some were Hebrew Jews, and some felt like they were getting overlooked in the provision for widows. And this complaint came to the apostles and the leadership. And they said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God, teaching explaining the truth, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who will, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now notice, the issue is not that serving tables is beneath the elders. They still need spiritual men to do it. They don't just need guys who are willing to get out and do so. This is a, this is a, 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 a potential conflict, serious division within the church. They need spiritual men to lead this. And so they, but they appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That was their priority. That is then carried on. We find the Apostle Paul's instructions in 1 Timothy 3.2, therefore an overseer. Here you go. Here's where Paul is using overseer and elder. The verse before this, he talks about aspiring to be an elder. So now he uses the title overseer. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Able to teach. That's the role. He has to have the character components, but he has to be able to teach. That doesn't necessarily mean being able to get up in front of a large group of people and preach. It means an aptitude to take people to the scriptures and have the truth of God bear upon their lives. That's what he means by able to teach. It's even clearer in Paul's instructions to Titus in Titus chapter 1 verse 9. 
He, that is an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So there is this positive aspect. He must be able to instruct in sound doctrine and a negative aspect also to rebuke those who contradict it. So an elder shepherds the flock by being able to spot false teaching, falsehood, incorrect doctrine and say, nope, sorry, that does not square up with the apostolic teaching. That doesn't square up with the revealed word of God. Perhaps most vivid is the picture that we are given in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28, where the apostle Paul is on a voyage and he stops on the shores of of Asia Minor and he calls, he sends a message to the elders in the city of Ephesus where he had spent three years preaching the gospel and establishing the churches in that region. He calls the elders down to come and meet him on the beach because he can't stay, so they come down to him And he says to them a number of things, but beginning in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul warns them. He says, they're going to come even from among your own ranks, even from among the churches. They're going to rise ravenous wolves who will tear the flock apart. Be alert. That's your job. That's your calling. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Out of all the things the Apostle Paul could have said to this elder team from the city of Ephesus, His final greeting, he hugs them and kisses them here. He knows he's not going to see them again. Of all the things he could say, of all of the final instructions he could leave them, what is the most passionate, what is the highest priority? That they guard the flock from falsehood, from false doctrine, from false teaching and division. It's the highest priority. Elders are to teach. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, there's another priority, and that's prayer. Elders are to pray. Shepherds are to pray. We saw that in Acts chapter 6, didn't we? We shouldn't abandon preaching the word. God to wait tables, appoint spiritual men to oversee this thing. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. Elders are to be prayers. Shepherds are to pray. And I don't think that that this just means generally shepherds are to have a vibrant life of prayer. Yes, that is true. 
But more specifically, shepherds are to intercede for God's people in their suffering, in their struggles with sin, to intercede before God for their faith and their growth spiritually. They're to be dedicated to that. Let me tell you, that says something about the heart's attitudes of elders and shepherds because those shepherds who have the right attitudes will recognize they can't make people grow. They cannot generate spiritual growth. Only God can do that. And so while elders teach and warn and encourage and build up and love and comfort, the bottom line is God must grow his church. Jesus must protect his church. And any shepherd, any elder will recognize that and be on his face before God, begging for the welfare of God's people. I believe that's why the apostles even, even the apostles in Acts chapter 6 are saying, we can't abandon praying to protect the flock We can't do that to to deal with this very important issue situation over here. So we're to be praying. Let me give you another example. I mentioned Acts chapter 6. Think about James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Now, there are a lot of things in this this passage in James that raise a lot of questions, okay? And I I can't answer all those this morning, but I do want you to, to notice what James is telling the people in the churches of God to uh, the way that he's saying, approach your elders about this. Seek out the leadership. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Why pray? Because elders aren't doctors. Elders can't prescribe medications. We don't have those qualifications. We don't want those qualifications. You're to call for the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, like I said, that's going to bring up all kinds of questions. Questions about, well, what is the prayer of faith? And what does it mean that if he's committed sins? Does that mean that if I'm sick, it's because I've sinned in some way? Those are a ton of questions that I can't answer this morning. Okay, But the point is this. That when there is suffering, and that suffering may be linked to spiritual causes, call in the elders to pray, to deal with sin, to confess, to find forgiveness and encouragement, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. This is part of the ministry of elders, and probably the clearest or the most direct reference to elders praying for people in need that I find in the New Testament. You need to know, too, that the elders of Crossway pray for you. We pray for you. We meet, sometimes we meet weekly, depending on what's going on in the church body. 
But our standard is to meet every other week. We begin our elders' meetings by praying for you, especially those who are in need and crisis. And often, one-third to one-quarter, at least a quarter, of our elder meeting is spent in talking about you guys and praying for you. Sometimes those are physical needs. Sometimes those are spiritual struggles. Sometimes those are, are, are marriages that are struggling. Sometimes it's, it's pain over a, a wayward kid. Sometimes it's struggle with substance abuse. Whatever it might be, we're praying for those things, and we're praying for you. And we pray for those of you who take on leadership roles, children's ministry, children's teachers, uh, youth workers, all this. And we pray for you guys, okay? I'm not saying that to blow a whistle. I am saying that to say that you wouldn't necessarily know that unless I tell you that. And you need to know that we pray for you, and we pray for you regularly. Now, that's just together. Now, I would say I know the elders, they pray for you individually, day in, day out, week in, week out. But we dedicate time for that in our elders' meetings. Now, the third broad category I want to give you, how, what does it mean to shepherd the flock, is the word equip. Shepherds equip. Shepherds teach, shepherds pray, shepherds equip. Now, these things overlap in some ways, but I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See shepherds and teachers? That's actually connected as a term. Shepherds teachers or pastor teachers. In fact, depending on what version, English version of your Bible, uh, the, of the Bible that you're carrying, you may, it may have the phrase pastors and teachers because the word shepherds, shepherds and pastors is the same word. So pastor teachers, shepherd teachers, Jesus says that's not a gift, that's a calling that Jesus has given to his church. He's given them apostles. We have them right here. He has given prophets who speak the divine word. He gives shepherds and teachers. He gives evangelists to preach the gospel, spread the gospel. And he gives shepherds and teachers. And shepherds and teachers' responsibility is to equip, you can see that here, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is, to train. Part of the elder's job is to train. The elder's job in the church is not to assign everybody some job. Now, we have needs that arise, and we say, hey, can someone you know, do this, or can someone take this, take this on? Can someone serve in this way? But the priority for the elders is not to just create these holes and we need to do this and then try to cram people in these holes. The job of the elders is to look at whom God has gifted in what ways and help you be God's child the way God has designed and gifted you to be. That's the elder's job. It's to help you be everything God has, intends you to be as his people. Is to come alongside and say, well, this is what the scriptures say about giftedness. Where's your giftedness? Well, I think this. Well, let's give it a shot. Where do you, where you find joy and satisfaction in serving and sacrificing and teaching or whatever it is to build up the body of Christ 
as Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4. The elder's job is not to direct traffic like a traffic cop. Okay, you go that way and you go that way and you go that way. It's to train. If anything, an elder isn't a traffic cop. An elder is someone who takes you by the front of the shirt and says, Hey, I'm going after Jesus. I want to take you with me. And how are you gifted to be the, the ministers, to build up the body? That's the shepherd's job. That's what equipping is. It's, it's training. You can see how that overlaps with teaching. So, okay, so shepherds, when Peter says shepherd the flock of God among you, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about teaching. He's talking about praying. He's talking about equipping. Shepherd the flock among you. Now, like I said, Peter doesn't fill that all in here. But when he says that, that phrase, that command, shepherd the flock among you, that's what it carries with it. It's what elders are to be doing. Peter spends more time focusing on the elder's task or his assignment, if you will. What he's to be doing. And that is found here also in verse 2, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. It's the same word, overseer, to give direction to. And he gives these three statements then, all in kind of the same form or the same rhythm of how to oversee. Not qualifications, but how to actually do it. What are some constraints what are some, the right attitudes, the right approaches or methods when giving oversight? Not this, but this. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. Three things. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. In other words, an elder can't serve begrudgingly. An elder can't serve always thinking about how much time he's losing and how much this is causing him to sacrifice and give up his personal time or his hobby or this or that. It's not under compulsion. We don't twist arms to get men to be elders. We don't come along and say, this guy would be a great elder. We've got to try to convince him or work him or manipulate him into being an elder. That would be compulsion. It may be that in the specific situations of churches that Peter's writing to, when it comes to the... the uh, the cost they were paying, the rejection and the hostility they were facing, that it might be that men were, uh, were hesitant to be elders because they would have to face a greater amount of hostility. We'll talk about that in a minute too. And so this under compulsion might be uh, this kind of thing where uh, the temptation would be to twist guys' arms to be elders, and they'd be like, I don't really want to pay the cost that it's going to mean to be more public of a Christian. Could be. Elders are to serve willingly, to shepherd willingly, give oversight willingly. Can't just do it as duty. There has to be a desire there. Has to be willingness. Paul uses the word in 1 Timothy 3, aspire, aspiration. In short, an elder has to find joy in this role. And so someone who feels put upon or, or feels put out with Having to do the work of an elder shouldn't be an elder. That's not as God would have you 
Literally, it says, according to God. He's a shepherd willingly according to God, which means in the same way that God shepherds. I, that's what I would understand. According to God, a she, uh, an elder should give oversight because he loves the church. Same way God loves the church. Secondly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So willingness is necessary, but there can be wrong ambition too. Gain, to try to make money or get financial security. Really, it's talking about taking, when it's talking shameful gain, it's taking advantage of God's people to either accumulate or trick them out of money to gain wealth. And we tend to think of prosperity preachers, those who are always publicly asking for money and really threatening, blackmailing, strong-arming people's consciences by making them feel guilty if they don't give you money. So if you send this, the whole ministry is going to fall apart, and the Lord's told me to tell every one of you that you need to send me $500 That's shameful gain. Shameful gain. They're infamous for this, and they are a blight on the gospel. But that's an extreme example. There are others. There are more subtle examples. I've known pastors who expect favors because they're pastors. They expect people to give them stuff for free because they're pastors. That's one thing if someone wants to, you know, provide a service or give a pastor or an elder something because they appreciate their service. That's another for a pastor or an elder to expect that because they're a pastor, they should, you know, get a free haircut or not have to pay a doctor's bill or something like that. Shameful gain. Peter's saying that's, that ought not to be the way you give oversight, exercise oversight. Lastly, oh, so you're supposed to do it eagerly. There's this eagerness to serve others. Sacrifice, not gain. Lastly, not domineering. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not lording it over. Reminds us of when Jesus told his disciples, this is the way the Gentiles, this is the way the the Roman government works. They lord it over. They've got the, the good old boy system. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You got in power. Now I'm in power. I'm the authority, and I own you. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're not seeking prestige here. You're not seeking some position. Don't treat each other the way those outside of the kingdom treat each other. And here Peter is saying specifically to elders and shepherds, you're not to domineer, you're not to lord it over. In other words, not to be using position to use people. That would include being abusive, manipulating, but it also just means seeking prestige, needing to be important. Why? Those in your charge. The flock isn't Yours, the flock isn't theirs, it's not ours. Elders don't own the flock. God owns the flock. Jesus owns the flock. They have been assigned to their charge. Peter is saying, don't domineer over the flock that you've been given a responsibility for that you must answer for. There's accountability in what he's saying. 
not that the sheep aren't the elder sheep. They're answerable for their safety and their well-being. You want, as a church, you want elders who fear God. You want pastors who fear God because pastors who fear God will not domineer. And any pastor who abuses the sheep, who, who exercises oversight in a domineering way is one who doesn't fear God, frankly. So Peter really here is giving a he's warning, isn't he? He's warning not this way, do it this way. This is what it means to give oversight, to shepherd the flock of God among you. He's saying, he's giving a warning against complaining. He's giving a warning against greed and a warning against power. The temptation to use a position of authority. Because there is authority involved. There are times that the elders must give direction. They must refute. They must rebuke. Elders have to lead. But there are these temptations, and Peter's saying, don't do that. And the body needs to know that. The body needs to know what to expect and what kind of constraints are on these under-shepherds. Thirdly, we see the elder's confidence. We see the elder's confidence. When the chief shepherd appears, verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears. Okay, so Jesus is the chief shepherd. (laughs) That puts all the other shepherds in perspective doesn't it? Jesus is the chief shepherd, and when he returns, when he is revealed, he will hold the under-shepherds accountable, because that's what elders really are. They are under-shepherds who must give an account to the chief shepherd. And for those who oversee the way Peter instructs, there will be reward, the unfading crown of glory, which probably means the crown that is glory, glory that doesn't fade. Now, what is this crown? I don't know, okay, frankly. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it will be different than the glory we will all know at the chief shepherd's appearance. It might be, but the Lord knows what it is, and I just kind of get to something like this, and I just kind of figure I trust him. I trust him with the promise, and I trust him with the details, whatever it is. But it's going to be good, and it's what those who are elders ought to be aiming at, This is their confidence, is that the Lord is the one they'll answer to. And if they're faithful in shepherding the way Peter is instructing, the way Jesus is instructing, then there's reward. Okay. Why is this so crucial? Why is it so crucial that elders get it right? In the relationships in chapters 2 and 3, let me take you back. In the relationships in chapters 2 and 3, I made the observation that the groups of people, citizens under the government, that uh, slaves under masters, that wives under husbands, that those who are most vulnerable as Christians who will face hostility in the world, those in the most vulnerable positions are those whom Peter speaks to. He doesn't say a lot to the government. He doesn't say much to masters. He gives a small little word to husbands, but he really spends his time on citizens, Christians as citizens, Christians as slaves in that vulnerable positions, and wives. And I believe that it stays true in this pattern. It's a pattern that continues here, 
that these are the hardest places to endure hostility, and it seems backwards, but I think it's the same, and here's why. It is the elders who are first in line to bear rejection and hostility for Jesus' name. Elders need to hear that, and the church needs to hear that. That the elders are the first in line. They are to take the first hits. They are to model endurance when subjected to hostility. For Jesus' name. And they are to model that with dignity and set the course. We see this played out in the book of Acts. Again, I'm pointing to the book of Acts. Who were the first believers persecuted the apostles. The apostles, the leaders. They were the ones who were first beaten. They were the ones who were first hounded and hunted. It was the apostles. I think that just carries on then. Reminds me of a a scene from the movie Gettysburg. It's all about the battle of Gettysburg and the American Civil War. It's a scene that takes place on the second day of the battle, and and General Robert E. Lee and General James Longstreet are on their horses, and it's early morning, and they're talking about the tactics of the day and what they're going to do on that day in terms of the battle, and they're talking about their doctrine, how they have been waging the war. And at one point, Robert E. Lee pauses, and he turns to to, uh, General Longstreet, and he says, By the way, sir, and this is a precise quote, but he says, it has come to my attention that you have been riding too close to the front. This army has already lost too many of its veteran commanders. And to put it plainly, I can't afford to lose you. In other words, stay back out of the fray. Can't afford to lose you as a general. And... General Longstreet kind of shifts on his horse and looks almost bashful, and he says, well, you can't leave from behind. That was a day and an age when a general stood at the front of the army, not at the back of the army, and led from the front. And I believe that's why Peter spends more time addressing elders here, that the elders are supposed to be out in front. And remember the situation, remember the context of the letter. In our culture, that, that may or may not be as, as, uh, as stringent or as clear. Maybe it will become so, more so, as we continue here, as the years go by. But I believe that's what Peter's doing. He's addressing the elders and spending more time because he's basically because of the, the, the context of being in exile and being faithful in exile. So that is Jesus' word to the elders, to shepherd the flock of God and to exercise oversight in these ways, in these right ways. Now, let's look at Jesus' word to the flock or the younger Again, the, the, the term younger here, Peter isn't speaking of age, just as he's not necessarily speaking of age as elder. The reality is those who would be qualified to be elders in the office were probably further along in age also. 
But the younger he uses here to just capture everybody else who's not an elder. It's the flock or the church as a whole. He's simply addressing everybody else. And likewise, he gives an exhortation, be subject to the elders. Now, here we go. Here's one of Peter's favorite words. It's the same word that he's used several times already in 1 Peter. Be subject to every human institution. Slaves, be subject to masters. Wives, be subject to your husbands. And like in these other relationships, Peter doesn't intend this command to be, uh, to be subject to the elders as something absolute. There are limits. If an elder is ever caught up in doing something immoral or instructing the church in something other than according to sound doctrine, the church isn't to just go, oh, well, you're an elder. I guess I'm going to follow you. That's how cults get started. In fact, cult leaders treat the position of, church, of elder, pastor, or shepherd in a way that the authority is absolute. And we have to go back to verse 4, not domineering over the church. But that's one of the signs of a false teacher or of a cult leader, is that they claim absolute authority. They can't be crossed. They can't be corrected. So that would be one limit. That would be one sign that, hey, as a church, as a Christian, can't follow you, shouldn't follow you. I don't think this kind of authority extends to what time your kids go to bed, what your career choice is. There may be some wisdom to be gained, not only from elders, but from fellow believers in some of these life decisions and these kind of things. But Peter's not talking about that either when he says, be subject to the elders. No, he's talking about that there are times when elders need to confront sin, that elders need to challenge spiritual immaturity, say, hey, if you're going to follow Jesus, you, you need to do this. You need to stop doing that. Jesus says the elder's authority, the shepherd's authority is always in the scriptures. This is what God says. Sometimes elders have to contend for truth. Sometimes they have to refute false teaching. Sometimes they have to be responsible for making decisions for the church body as a whole. Peter says, be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. Now, let me tell you, this is not an easy message to preach these days. Okay, Not only because we're in a culture where authority is suspect and often disdained, But even in our Christian culture, where it seems like every other week we hear of a Christian leader accused of abusing authority and sometimes is disqualified for that, it's a hard message to preach. So to come before a local church body and say, hey, you know the Bible says, be subject to the elders. Well, it's not all that comfortable, to be completely honest. But it is necessary because the Bible says it. And the Lord knows what is best for his churches. Leadership in the church is design. It is structure, and it is good for the church, just as it is for families and just as it is for human societies to have governments. Leadership is good. But Peter doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He just says, be subject to the elders. Okay. Thirdly, we need to see Jesus' word to all of us. Okay, so Jesus' word to the elders, Jesus' word to the flock, the younger, and Jesus' word to all of us. 
Last part of verse 5. This summarizes it all, doesn't it? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Humility. And when he says clothe yourselves, he means something comprehensive. It's this, it's this covering of all the things you do and all the things you say. Let it be covered, clothed in humility toward one another. After all, the bottom line, elders are in the flock also. That's where the analogy would probably break down, is that if you shepherd flock, you got a person, you've got sheep. But elders are sheep that are helping sheep in one way, right? We're all part of the flock. Elders are part of the flock too. We have a chief shepherd, and we shepherd one another. There are times when one elder has to be shepherded by another elder. We try to do that. We try to be faithful in that as an elder team here at Crossway. So after all, elders are in the flock too. And then Peter quotes Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why? Because either elders, shepherds can act in pride and the body can respond in pride. A humble elder loves the church. A humble elder seeks its welfare. Bottom line is he knows the flock isn't his. It's the chief shepherd's. A humble elder embraces the need to face hostility first when it comes and if necessary. A humble elder longs for the chief shepherd to appear and to bring his glory to his people. And a humble younger, a humble flock, member of the flock, understands the elder is an under-shepherd who is responsible and answerable for that person's spiritual well-being, and we'll have to give an account for it before the chief shepherd. A humble flock member knows that Jesus himself has put elders in a role of leadership and authority for the good of his people, even if they're flawed, even if they're not perfect. It's his way. And a humble, younger person longs for the chief shepherd to appear and to bring his glory to his people. So this becomes key then as Peter closes the letter for us in exile. Because humility then, right, is what makes the, the relationships work. And it's what makes the church, the people of God, different than any other group outside of the church. That both leaders and members, the body, show humility toward one another. And this humility then becomes Peter's finale. We'll take a look at that next week as we close the book of 1 Peter.